is Ryan Miller, and for the past 15 years, I've helped hundreds of people to raise millions of dollars for their funds and for their startups. If you're serious about raising money, launching your business, or taking your life to the next level, this show will give you the answers so that you, too, can enjoy your pursuit of making billions. Let's get into it. In this week's episode, I bring on my dear friend, Craig Cecilio. Craig is the founder and CEO of an estimated $100 million fund known as DiversityFund.com. Join Craig and me as we cover how he is bringing those juicy private investments traditionally reserved for the mega rich out of obscurity and into the mainstream for all investors to enjoy, including me and you. You don't want to miss it. Plus, Craig walks you through his deep wisdom on starting a business and scaling it while still making sure you take care of yourself along the way giving us all the discipline and insights we need in our pursuit of making billions. Here we go. Hey, welcome to another episode of Making Billions. I'm your host, Ryan Miller. Today, I have my dear friend, Craig Cecilio. Craig is the founder and CEO of DiversityFund.com. It's an estimated $100 million network of funds that brings real estate investing to the everyday investor for a little as $500. Bucks. This is this guy's breaking through. He's smashing barriers uh, for investments that are traditionally reserved for the highly profitable, mega rich people. He's now bringing those through Diversity Fund. He's bringing these investments to the everyday investor. So we're going to bring him on the show. He's going to talk about everything that he's done, how he's gotten to where he's gotten to, uh, and then uh, we're gonna we're gonna finish off on some of those those tasty tips that he's going to give us in the end, man. So, Greg, man, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, Ryan. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for being here, man. So, uh, you know, we've gotten to know each other a little bit. Uh, and, man, I am so impressed in what you're doing. Uh, you and I are certainly kindred spirits. Uh, we are very anti-poverty. Uh, and we're trying to kind of break down those walls that, you know, traditionally compliance, uh, this is not, I know Wall Street and investors kind of get the the bad rap, but it's really we're just following the rules that have been set out. And based on those rules, Traditionally, it's kept a lot of people out of these highly profitable investments. Some of these people, the people that need them the most, can't get into these things. And in fact, even worse, they don't even know about them. But you're changing all that. So before we get into how you're changing that, which you're going to want to hang in there, everybody, uh, this is is a really cool thing that uh, that he's building. I think of fans around the world just want to know, like, how did you start? Like you're a regular guy, middle-class home, and then you just, boom, you took off and you're really making waves in the investor market. So where did it all begin for you? Well, I always say it kind of began in childhood, way, way, way back. And it, it kind of just kind of growing up, it's really a working class family. Mother was a school teacher. Father was in retail. A lot of dinner table talk. You know, it's a lot of frustration that came from my father. We lived in a very affluent area, but we were kind of working class. So maybe he felt insecure about that fact that he wasn't had as good as everyone else. He always talked about these dreams, but he never did anything. And as being a kid, I was kind of a little bit aware of things, aware of things. And I remember one day we had this kind of argument at the table. He was complaining about money and his job and his bosses again. And I'm just like, why don't you do something about it? I don't get it. And uh, luckily, he sat at the other end of the table, so he couldn't strangle me like in The Simpsons, you know, <laughs> bar. <laughs> and my mom was to, right next to me, so yeah. Unfortunately, my brother was to the other side. So, but that's another story. And so, I would say one day, it's like he's like, "What do you think? Money grows on trees." And so, I kind of buried a dollar bill in the backyard. I watered it a couple nights, and I said, "I, I guess not." 
and I could just see him like the the fumes coming out of his you know yeah. of his face when I when I did that. But it was kind of like that was kind of really sat with me. Is like why didn't he take any action? Why didn't he do anything about it? And mm. at an early age, I took it. That's the way I took it. It's like I took it as like I'm going to do something about it. Whether it was Freudian in some manner, is like hey, my dad felt bullied by the world, and I'm going to go and go attack the world, the big bully. Mm. And, and, and do something about it. But I think that was in great at a very early age. And that was the first kind of steps that I, I kind of took into that direction. And uh, the rest is just kind of the journey I took. And also, I think all circumstances, because I always knew this is what I was supposed to do in life was kind of really be an entrepreneur and do something different. Yeah. And you went to, so, so then you grew up as a kid and you're like, ah, some th- few things that you, you look back now and say, I didn't agree with it, but I, you know, I honor that moment because it gave me kind of the, the marbles you needed to to move uh, your career in the direction that you have now. But, you know, during that time, as you started to kind of come into your own, I think you mentioned that you were, you, you came into real estate, your first exposure was like, you felt like, I think you're about 18, you wanted to buy a condo. Tell me about a little bit about how that went for you. Yeah, I think I, I kind of got aware of it when I went, went to college. And so I was fortunate that my parents were able to put me into a school. They worked hard to do that, put me into a, a good, nice high school. Sure. It, was a, it was a private school. Uh, the, yeah. the schools that you see kind of online, how it was, or you see in the movies, that's how it was. It was kind of strict mm-hmm. and stuff. But it gave me a really good foundation with things, taught me how to be a good test taker and learn and give me those basic skills. So I evidently, I went, I wanted to go West. And so I got as far as Colorado. Uh, I really wanted to go farther, but I got them to get me to go to University of Colorado Boulder. And when I was out there, I was kind of, I don't know what came to me. I'm not sure what I knew about it, but I was like, man, I could just buy a condo for 90 grand on Broadway. And Broadway, if you know, if you play Monopoly or any town, it's kind of like Broadway is always a good area to buy property usually. (laughs) And, uh, you know, today that thing's probably worth like $3 million. And I was like, hey, dad, I ran the numbers. Like I could get a roommate and you could pay it and you could cover the mortgage. And hey, this is going to be worse than one day. And he he kind of already knew the answer. He was very risk adverse and he never took chances. He was like, no, no, Hmm. we're not going to do it. It's too risky, yada, 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 every excuse. And, And that's how he was. You know, that's the type of person he was. But I was like, oh man, you know, and, t- and today if you have a condo on Broadway, it's probably worth two and a half to three million. So I'm like here sitting here like, oh my God, you know, I yeah. w- wish we did it back then. But hindsight's one thing is just kind of the lesson in that to me was just for me, I had to like separate myself from my family a little bit and, and have my own path in life. But that's where it kind of started out. And when I eventually kind of graduated from college and I decided to move out to California, I went out there kind of in search. Okay, I know what I'm going to do. I know what path I'm going to take. I know real estate's going to be there in some form or manner. And how I was going to learn was going to happen. I just knew it was going to happen. It wasn't like a plan. I'm going to go to a uh, business school or I was going to go work for a particular company. I just kind of knew I was going to make it happen. And yeah. uh, when I eventually moved out there within my first year, I was just kind of doing odd jobs and stuff. And I was very personable. And, uh, and also respectful at that time period, I believe uh, California was more of a, like a surfer area where I lived and kind of the parts of San Diego was very much local. And if you weren't part of the group, like you would get, if you went surfing, you'd get punched or something. And actually, actually mm-hmm. there's something on news about that last week. They're still doing the same thing at the same surf spot, but that mm-hmm. I first went out to, it's kind of, kind of funny. It's still going around, but, uh, they're very kind of, you know, like tribal in that area. And I, I kind of was non-intrusive, uh, and I was uh, being able to make friends with those guys for other things we had in common. 
and slowly but surely building relationships and I found a couple mentors that really kind of taught me some things and really it was like two of them one was a real estate developer another one was uh, I think his background started as a solvency attorney and he was into the structuring and the capital raising side of things and eventually they I, I met the, the godfather of, of, of real estate funds and uh, his name was Frank Schaefer and so through that I, I learned a lot uh, and I'm like 23 24 years old and these are things you don't really learn about until you're 40 or 50, yeah. uh, especially on the side of capital raising. They really want to talk to people who have or high net worth accredited individuals or institutions. And it was just a vast amount of information given to me at an early age of this kind of world, like I did a shadow world I didn't know existed before. And it was it was it was awesome. It was great. Stay with us. We'll be right back. AI is changing the game of business. Will you be on the winning team? I'm Jordan Wilson, the host of the Everyday AI Podcast, and your coach to help you learn the X's and O's of AI. Artificial intelligence isn't just a new player in the game, it's a new sport altogether. So if you don't quickly put AI into play, your competitors will run up the score. I've spent my whole life building winning teams, from coaching basketball to working with big players like Nike and Jordan Brand. My next move, helping you win with Everyday AI. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or on everydayaipodcast.com. Let's tap into AI together and put points on the board. Wow, that's phenomenal. So so you moved out to California when you were young after college. Um, I think you mentioned before that you just, you knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur that kind of tied into you saying, you know, I had my breakaway moment where I had to, to carve my own path. And you did that and you always knew entrepreneurship was your path. So you moved out to California. I think you said uh, San Diego. Yeah, uh, yeah. What made you pick San Diego? I always said San Diego. I said that back in high school. And I yeah. remember uh, one of my old high school friends um, saying, yeah, you always wanted to go to San Diego. And I yeah. remember saying something like, I want to go to San Diego because it's like L.A., but doesn't have the materialism of L.A. Well, back yeah. then it didn't. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. I was like 14 years old, 15 years old. And I, yeah. I kind of, that's the way I be, viewed San Diego at the time. And also where I live in the East Coast, we had a beach and I enjoyed the summer times. And I was like, yes. well, why can't I live? Like, this is how I am. It's like, well, why can't I go to an area where I have a beach every single day of the year, all 365 days? Why don't I have to enjoy 90 days between Memorial Day and Labor Day? So that's yeah. another reason I wanted to get out there for the beach, uh, learn how to surf and do all that stuff, which I'm still haven't done yet <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah. uh, there's those are a lot of reasons why i wanted to, to go out there uh yeah it was, it was fascinating and and the the energy that i had was this was i had my car which was a, a jeep at the time and it had a kind of a soft top on and i love telling the story is because i went to kind of u-haul to get a trailer and they said i couldn't get a trailer because i had a soft top i'm like Mm-hmm. And most people would be like devastated. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll stuff as much stuff as I can in the Jeep and put some duct yep. tape on it and yep. you know, drive across the country. All of a sudden I'm driving in the middle of the night. My soft top goes flying off somewhere in the Yeesh. desert in Nevada and 30% of my stuff is gone. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm almost to California. And so I yeah. make it out there, shut off the Jeep and it, and it breaks. It just shimmies. I'm just like, broke down. Yep. But I'm there and I'm excited to get going. So yeah. that's the start of the journey. And then, uh, so, um, you know, you, you mentioned before that Frank Schaefer, the, the godfather of, uh, real estate investment funds, uh, in San Diego, he kind of, he, he helped you a little bit to help you dodge the proverbial bullet. Maybe you can, uh, walk us through a little bit about, you know, 
what did what did uh, having that a mentor like that do for you in the early days uh kind of signal to our fans around the world that uh yeah mentors are a good idea and boy did he provide you a lot of value i just wonder if you can maybe yeah summarize so you know the, the early days I was, I was doing a lot of syndication so, so that's bringing a bunch of people together to kind of yeah. finance a project whether it's mezzanine or equity or debt or whatever and i was sure. raising money for my projects and other people's projects I went off my own after kind of worked for other people around 2003. And uh, so I was doing that. And a normal course of evolution with anything is, is kind of to build your own fund. And I remember uh, being introduced to Frank probably a few years before that. And I remember kind of always going to him and showing him some deals that were more complex. And he, he had a huge construction background. So he was very, uh, very insightful for me looking at deals, understanding what's a, how to underwrite them and look at uh, the units announced to ask all those questions. So I started talking to him. It's like, hey, Frank, I'm ready to start my first fund here. And I believe it was like November of 2005. We sat down and he said, hey, Craig, I think the market's pretty, the word I use today, I wouldn't use this word back then, it was pretty overheated and frothy. Yeah. And I don't think it's a good time. He goes, look at all the stuff, how we, and he always, always used the word we, because that's how it was back then, as we, we, we do things. And it was always like, we do things. This is, how we do things is it's not the same. It's like we the way we underwrite is, is not being done. All these deals are getting funded and all this stuff is happening without this basic one-on-one underwriting stuff. It's just, I think things are kind of gonna really go down pretty fast and pretty hard. And so I was like, okay, you know, maybe it's not the best time to do it. And I kind of, you know, the, the decision I made was not to create a fund at that time period. It was probably one of the best decisions I made because we know yep. what happened within a couple of years in that time period. And, uh, and everyone around me who started these funds started imploding across, uh, across locally and across nationally. It was, it was a crazy time period. Yeah. So Frank Schaefer uh, kind of brought back the discipline of underwriting a deal. And uh, it sounds like you did okay in the 08 recession. All these, like you said, the funds were imploding. Yeah. But the lessons your mentor gave you goes back to the basics and really underwrite the, the deal properly. And then from that, uh, you ended up being just fine. It was my understanding in 08. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was good. I, I was really good. I mean, from a point of view of a business employee imploding and having unhappy customers, which are investors at the time period, I really was, it was minimal. It was, was, was almost nobody at the end of the day. And awesome. to have that and to come out of that with that, uh, uh, with that reputation was big at the time. So when yeah. I kind of went back in the market and had a new plan, it, it was, it was not easy, but it was it was something that I, I, I could do. And uh, and I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that decision. I'm thankful for, for that conversation. And especially seeing all the people around me implode and, and seeing people lose a lot of money. That was a tough time period. And it was hard because like I, I had investors and people who invest with me lose money in these other funds because if you live back then, everyone was kind of invested in multiple instruments and funds. And they got hammered. So it, it was tough. People were in a tough situation at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And then, uh, you know, after we started coming out of the tail end of the Great Recession, um, I think they came out with the Job Acts in like 2012, 2013. And that yeah. there was something that kind of sparked your plan. Uh, maybe you can walk us through. Yeah. Exactly. It was how, interesting. how do you so fit into the Job Act? So, as, and I go a little bit before that, is, is I had a fortunate, um, circumstance to start. I had a former employee come to me with an idea about buying mm -hmm. distressed assets. And then all of a sudden I just like, I had this aha moment. I was like, oh God, we get stuff for so cheap. Let's, let's go out and do it. And then I finally started my first fund in about 12. Right. And so I got yeah. that going 
and raise money for that. And then 13, I hear about this uh, thing called uh, crowdfunding and real estate crowdfunding from the Jobs Act. And I got hooked. I read this thing about, okay, you could solicit uh, investments from non-accredited investors. That's pretty much anyone that you can. And I was like, oh, I got to get into this. I got to figure this out. I, I was built in websites before I knew about marketing. I know about a little bit about automation. This is kind of, this is, this is something that I was really passionate about. I could get someone who doesn't have that financial acumen or experience or that access and I could provide them a service. And I, I was just hooked. And I was, I dove into it and started learning about that. And, you know, it's kind of crazy when you pass a law in 2012 and the actual code or regulation didn't really get uh, approved to the market until I think it was July of 2015. And the first one, I think, got active sometime in, in 16, just the way the government works four years later, right? Let's create this great, <laughs> this thing called the Jobs Act, but, you know, yep. most of the things you can't do to four or five years down the road, which makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, so I did have a bunch of time to kind of uh, put my ducks in a row and understand what I had to build. And uh, that was where the uh, diversity fund came from. That's where the idea started. And, uh, and the rest was just kind of putting that together. Wow. And so, um, yeah, you, you found some, I, I wouldn't call them loopholes, but you found some updates to allowing certain investors to come in. And then from that point, you got a, you, you met your co-founder, Alan, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, walk me, and then you, you formed Diversity Fund, diversityfund.com. Yeah, you have, the, you have this idea, and you're like, okay, yeah. now, now what do I do? It's like, what, what, right. do, what is my strength? What am I good at, right? And it's like, what am I not good at and what I don't like to do? So I was like, you know what? I don't like, you know, the lawyer part of stuff. It's like, okay, lawyers cost me so much money. It's always like, I remember doing a deal, it cost me like 60,000 attorney fees, and I made 50,000 on it. But I was like, what the hell? That doesn't make any sense. So I was right. like, I'm going to get hammered with, with the legal fees. And also the compliance side, the security side, and how that works. I'm like, okay, that's, again, that's mainly attorneys and vendors there, which you get hammered with accountants and all that stuff doing something. I was like, okay, so I'm kind of thinking of what I got to do here to get this thing going. And then I started kind of looking out and reaching out to people and developing relationships. So it took me about a year to year and a half from meeting Alan to get him aboard uh, yep. and to, uh, and, and he read about it a little bit too. And he, he was kind of sold on that together. So we, I think 15, we started kind of conversing with each other. And uh, I had a previous business because I had to kind of take care of that business and wind that down. So he agreed to help me to wind that down. And then we launched, officially launched a diversity fund in late 2016. And mm -hmm. so we, we launched and started putting those steps together. And, uh, and I'm going to kind of fast forward a little bit, a few years. And it was really took us to about the end of 18 to get our first non-accredited uh, everyday investment fund, let's call it, qualified through the SEC. It was still slower back then. It took months, months in some cases a year, and some people mm -hmm. maybe 18 months to get it going. Um, and then uh, we really got to the technology improvements and the product improvements really kind of kicked in, I would say, in, in 19, in the middle of 19, which was, uh, and that's really the day that uh, the amount of investments came in were in the double digits through automation without salespeople. And that's what the dream was to do this whole thing just with automation, especially when you're using micro investors as your, as your customers. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So, um, you know, you mentioned to me offline that diversityfund.com provides access to wealth building opportunities. Um, like walk us through a little bit, uh, through some of the, some of the features of that and, and kind of some of the everyday investors around the world, um, specifically in the United States, but around the world, 
uh, maybe walk us through a little bit about like what's up with that? Why is it different? What what's going on? What can they expect uh, by investing through diversity fund versus say a, a regular traditional investment? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I always like to talk about awareness and education and that stuff. And, and part sure. of me feels like it's a little bit of ed tech with it because there's so much education. So you have this whole group mm-hmm. of people in the U.S. And if you look at it, it's what between 18 and 65. And the yeah. percentage of the population that is not, uh, you know, is non-accredited, there's about 11, I think it's 11 or 12% that are accredited. So that's like 90% of everyone else. You're talking about 100 to 200 million people out there. So that's your addressable market. And then you have different stages there. You got some people, some, some, some high knowledge and some people with like some basic knowledge and some people with no knowledge whatsoever. So you have to design this product that they can all understand. So first of all, it's like in the early stages, you're, you're kind of marketing to people who kind of understand a little bit. So you just want to, so they're the ones who are going to convert a little bit more and, and, and uh, come across your platform a little more, a little easy to get them aboard your platform because they understand the asset itself and how it works. And as you kind of grow it out, you're, you're adding a lot of components and adding a lot of, uh, a lot of education. And there's also not just the education, it's the awareness. How do you get that kind of word out there? And what, what is this, you know, investing into what it's, it's private markets, Hey, what's, what's a growth investment? How's this work? And there's a lot of kind of moving parts there. And uh, yeah, and we, we went out and we, we started doing that, uh, putting all those pieces together. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty amazing journey. And, and you, know, you start out with one, two, and then you get 100. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're pre-pandemic, we're like a 2,000. And post-pandemic, we're like close to 30,000 right now. Uh, with our Yeah, 30,000 accounts. Yeah, no, these are 30,000, these are customers. We have over half a million accounts, people that have active accounts with us. So these are people who actually invested dollars uh, into it. So uh, yeah, it's been a, it's it's quite, so we obviously have product market fit here and uh, going back to um, what I was saying of of how we kind of built it out was it's a little bit of a leap of faith to get there is is putting some money in on the marketing side to get there and really kind of learning and how we create a narrative to people so they, they can really understand what this investment's about, how it works, what's the asset class we're putting their money into. And uh, in, in unfortunate for us, it's been working out pretty well. Yeah, no, I would agree, right? So, uh, you know, when you're when you're pushing around, when you're skating around uh, 100 million AUM, uh, yeah, I would say you're doing just fine. Um, and, and you're just getting started, man. So, you know, so you're saying, you know, some of the things that differ from just a traditional investment or syndication or whatever is get a lot of education, right? And again, there's been such a walled garden on these high yield investments that are reserved just for the mega rich, just to help them get wealthier. I mean, I'm overly simplifying, but kind of, I mean, that would be the experience of the non-accredited investor standing on the outside of the walled garden and say, well, what about me? So you're saying, well, no, you, you haven't been forgot about, at least at Diversity Fund, you have not been forgotten about. In fact, not only do we provide access for as little as 500 bucks to, to get into these things, but we also provide education to help you understand it so that you can be right in lockstep with a lot of the, I, I would argue, I'm probably putting words in your mouth, but a lot of the, the mega wealthy, we'll say the accredited investors and beyond, uh, you help to bring that world down to the everyday investor. So, um, and then the assets that people are investing in, is it uh, maybe... Is it real estate only? Is it like, what, what is it that people's, um, Yeah. So I'll go a little back. Like I like to say the, the, what the 1% does, the 99% should have the same opportunity. Cause that's what yes. kind of American dream is about. It's about having the opportunity to build yep. wealth. So let's Freedom level for all. that playing field. And so 
to the asset itself. So we're like, okay, what, what should we choose and how should we choose that and all that stuff. And going in, I think this is where our background with my co-founder's background, my background, we, 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 we almost got distracted, but we chose the right asset. We want to do something that was like institutional quality, but something that we could purchase and be able to kind of uh, get those assets. So we chose multifamily kind of value add real estate as our primary product. Uh, let's just go for sake of this conversation. I'll, I'll be very kind of narrow about 200 units. Uh, we're looking at more of a kind of a B where you can do light renovations, not heavy. There's always kind of great shades of gray with stuff, but light renovations or quick turnarounds, uh, mostly filled with one or two year leases that we're, we're going in, we're buying them distressed and they're distressed for many reasons. We could dig into that. And in uh, looking at where you are in the market and what markets are hot and not, and really kind of chasing yield in those markets. And historically, these assets outperform the stock market and the S&P, and that's where we wanted to be, doing something that, hey, give, giving people a private market asset class that they could kind of understand that's tangible. Uh, that's the That was kind of like one of the big things going in, because a lot of things, like you talk about private equity, you know, I talked about oil and gas and all these things. This is like way over people's yeah. heads. And we yep. want to get something tangible that they can really understand to get them involved with this. And this is kind of like their entry level kind of uh, investment for all, all alternative investments. And mm-hmm. uh, and then kind of building out, um, getting a lot of going back for the customer so we can really improve their journey. And I call it their financial journey at the end of the day. It's like, hey, everyone wants something that's specific to themselves. So how do we create this journey for our customers, this financial journey for the customers to help them on their own wealth building journey, their own financial journey for themselves. So around that, we started building tools and we're consistently always building tools for them. Yeah, incredible. So high yield investments uh, and you know they get access to deals that normally they would have been kept out of. Uh, you get flooded with education resources. I mean, you guys already have like, I think, what did you say, 30,000 or early you're close to yeah close to 30,000 close to 70,000 transactions yeah and counting yeah and so you know you told me a funny story about uh your worst performing investment which is still pretty freaking awesome I, I don't know if we got it in 2020 or 2019 so yeah um well, whatever that's 2019 or 2020 I'll just call it good <laughs> say that yeah, yeah. and uh and and so we had, I remember it was like kind of three units and not, not three units, like close to a couple hundred, uh, uh, doors. Uh, there was, there was a fire, there was like frozen pipes. There was, a, and this was in Texas. Cause I think, yeah, I think everyone remembers there's a, like a winter storm a few years back. Remember that. That's right. And those, those yep. frozen pipes became a flood. Right. I remember that. Uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but since we sold a can, there's a triple homicide on one of the, <laughs> One, one there at the property and yeah you had so your hands bad for yeah and, yep. and then oh yeah you know by the way there's this thing called covid that came around too so you know then you had rents kind of just not uh, people paying their bills right there during yep. that time period with rent assistance so you, you could have a full property with like half of them only paying rent at that time period and we were still able to sell that thing and get close to i think it turned out to the lp level about 8.9% return. So close to yeah. almost a 10% return on something that was that horrible. One of those things should take you down just yes. one, right? One. And we had like four or five things happen and we still were able to perform. So and I can say that because we actually got that return. So that for your compliance people out there, I hope I'm in compliant because this is crazy nowadays. <laughs> but it's so fact, right? If I'm yeah, not, then not... I just give up, man, because yeah. <laughs> this You're compliant like... world is crazy. Yeah, I gotcha. So your worst deal, you got nearly 10% yeah. uh, when everything goes wrong. 
So that gives you a sense of the floor of of yeah. Craig's uh, ability. Everybody is just saying, even in the deals that he does, when everything goes wrong, you got frozen pipes and fires and homicides and all these different things. Pandemics, and like, yeah. pandemics, we gotta get the pandemics. <laughs> yeah, and he's yeah. like, yeah, like we only got like almost ten percent investment off of like when it's crashing and burning. So that tells you how good you are. At least it tells me how good you are at at, at writing a good deal. Uh, to cover your downside, but also the downside for your investors. Would you attribute some of that that moment, that success, to the early lessons you learned from your mentor, Frank Schaefer? Oh, God. I, I, the perseverance to do there, I think that's something that maybe came from from childhood and from myself. I don't mm. know where that came from. I, it probably came from uh, perseverance. I think probably came from my mother at the end of the day. But yeah. the, 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 the skills and the underwriting stuff, yeah, they, they taught me how to underwrite a deal, but really how to get through those obstacles. It's something that I think was like my journey throughout my life and how I kind of went to the next stages with things. And that's how I approach things. It's more, my mind always goes, how do I solve something? It doesn't yeah. look like, oh my God, and freak out. And it's more like, how do I solve it? How do we attack this uh, issue? And I just, this is kind of how I'm wired. If something goes wrong, I'm like, okay, what are we going to do about it? Uh, maybe too much, maybe too, you know, what's the saying? Type A and there's type G. I yeah. think my friend said, hey, we're more like type G, which is a type gorilla. So oh, <laughs> it's a little higher sure, than type yeah. A. So I like to dive in and just try to figure out a way how to, how to solve things all the time. And constantly when you're not only managing, this is managing real estate, but also I have a tech company, a startup at the same time. You know, you got employees yeah. and all this stuff going on. You're always like, yeah, hey, yeah. how am I going to pay my next bill? And so you have to persevere through all that stuff. So every day something's being thrown at you. And even at this stage, stuff is still being thrown at you. Now it's like, whatever. It's like, I'm so used to it. So I'm just like, it's like walking. It's like, yeah, I have to walk to, you know, I have to walk. I have to overcome adversity all the time. So it just kind of just comes normal and set, and, you know. Yeah. Secondhand. And uh, for our fans listening, uh, I would assume CrossFit probably helped you to break through walls. You, uh, Craig, Craig is unbelievably jacked, so you can't tell if you're listening to it on audio, but on YouTube, you can tell. Pretty healthy guy, right? Health matters. It hel- it matters to me. I mean, all jokes aside, it's pretty important. But you know, we'll we'll get into those. So as we round third base, and we're just kind of wrapping it up, um, you know, what are some of those takeaways for our fans around the world? That I mean, we literally are in every country around the planet. What are some of those takeaways? I mean, you know, people, there's some people that are praying to God to talk to a guy like you and, and this is their moment. Someone like that. What would you tell them about some of the takeaways that you've learned on your journey towards making billions? What can you share with people around the world? I, the, it's, you always talk about as a kid, it's like your dreams, like going big. And, mm. and for some reason, I think society naturally just, at least where I grew up was, was kind of like, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. So my, my saying is go big. You only have one life to live. You might as well go big. And so go big, go try that dream out. What's the worst thing that could happen. And then, but by doing that, you, you, I don't consider it failing. You're doing something. And so by doing something, what happens, you get the feedback and that's the, where the learning comes in. And then if you really look at that as learning, that's where the growth comes. So it's like do, and I have a saying, do, learn, grow. It's kind, and then repeat, rinse, do it again and again and again. That's what that's where it happens. So we all, a lot of people have great ideas, and, and I've talked to so many people, and they just don't, you know, they're like, well, I should do this, or you know, that person who's like goes and he puts together like like every which way something could go wrong, and, and puts this elaborate spreadsheet together, and before they do it, it's like, hey, just do it, just get out there and start doing it, right? You gotta get out there and start doing things so you can learn. 
And, that, and that's what I got to say to people is, hey, you know, you have a great idea. Just just you you have that power within yourself to make it happen. So take that first step and just just do it. And really kind of looking in, it's not the external world because it's kind of crazy out there, but it's internal world. It's like, hey, have that belief in yourself that you can do it. Yeah, and, and, and understand the stories of how everyone has done it before. That can motivate you. So I always like, hey, listen to your podcast or read this book because you'll hear stories of people who have maybe a worse condition than you had in life and they were able to do it. So that means you have the potential to do it as well. Awesome. So, so go big, go for that and do something about it. Uh, what else, man? What, what else are, what are some other tips uh, that you've learned along the way that you can share with uh, our fans around the world? Yeah. The, the doing is going is, is the failing as part of it doing. Yeah. And I, I, I want to just talk about like, you always hear about failing. It's okay to fail. you like, you want, but it's, it's good to fail. The faster you fail, it's, it's, it's yeah. almost the better because it accelerates yeah. the process. Yeah. within reason right you got to be reasonable about that stuff so that's good and and, and really i mean a lot of stuff i learned was it, doing things and really improving things like like launching things that are mvps minimum viable products don't be too too perfect on things you really want to understand if you're going to get that product market fit or people are going to like what you sell uh, if you spend too much time or too much money or too many resources on trying to make it too perfect, you're not really mm. kind of testing the stuff and getting that feedback to see if people really want it. It's, like, it's kind of living in your head almost at times because I've, I've yeah. noticed a lot of people. I'm an advisor to some groups, and I, there's all these great ideas and phenomenal ideas, and then I ask them how many customers they have. I'm like, one, none, this or that. So you got to kind of get it out there and, and test it, and then you can improve it too, right? Everyone right. has a different type of runway. And some people just do it and they're doing it themselves. And their they're one way could be as long as they want to do the project and stuff. Other people have money that's given to them or partners and doing stuff. And, and you have a set amount of time to do things. Uh, the other thing I always like, uh, if you're very customer centric, is really kind of reducing the friction for the customers at the end of the day. Mm. Make that process very easy for them. We have an app now. You can click the button. We use Plaid. It connects to your bank account. It's really, it's under a minute to do the whole transaction. Make Perfect. it simple. So morning there, compliance is tough nowadays. So you want to get too simple. I think Robin is a great one that's made it super simple. And now they have a lot of issues out there, but you want to make it easy for people. You want to make it very easy for them to transact. And also what the, I always talk about the educational component is, is how do you communicate that stuff uh, to people too? And so we're working on things of, okay, maybe it's just not any long form comment. Maybe it's better charts and graphs and just yep. trying to give them information in a manner where they would like to receive it. And that's kind of a saying that I heard, gosh, I don't know where I heard this one from. It's, it says, treat other people like they want to be treated. And so I look at that in, in a variety of different ways. And one is that, okay, this is their journey. How do they take in information? How could I give it to the way that they like it? And always constantly improve that. Um, and then a big, huge component to do any of this stuff is, is yourself, is you got to be balanced. You got to put yourself in a place where you are, you you are kind of on your A game. That you're you're yeah. kind of you're calm. You're, you're not getting stressed out all the time. The anxiety, hey, those things are normal. We all come from it, so it's really big mental health. But nowadays, there's so many tools out there that you can use. So if you're going to do this and try to burn the midnight oil, it's going to catch up to you. You need to kind of incorporate that balance. Whether it's like kind of going to event. Uh, I think you were saying something earlier about stuff in the daytime and, and going go so it's like if you need to go somewhere go to an event uh that's good that's a good thing to do incorporate that it's the the social part of your life into uh, your daily schedule 
Yeah. If it's exercise, something I love to do is exercise. So I make sure to incorporate that in my daily schedule. There's other stuff out there too people could do, but figure out what works for yourself. Work on yourself because if you don't, then you're, you're, it's just not going to work out. It's going to affect you in all areas of your life. Awesome. Perfect. And uh, so, you know, as we wrap things up, uh, is there anything else you'd like fans around the world to know? Any last minute thoughts or connections or uh yeah i mean a lot of things is you know this is i believe like doing things like this and creating something that hasn't been done for people before it mm -hmm. is something that i really like to see people like take the step and have all this innovation come out um today we live in this kind of world where all this stuff is going on at the end of the day we can't lose the fact of what makes this kind of a, a great place to live a great country to live is the innovators the entrepreneurship and stuff. So I, I say, go for your dreams. Hey, don't let all this distraction get in your way. Whether the market's great, the market's sour, there's always opportunities for everyone out there. Don't be distracted by that. And uh, a couple other things, tidbits is uh, I always like to say, um, you try enough times, you'll get the timing right. But as, as I kind of go, my age is wisdom is uh, timing means a lot to things. And I always felt I, I used to think like in, we're in the real estate world, it's like location, location, location. But recently it's been more timing, timing, timing. And if you stay in right long enough, the timing will be yours where one of your ideas may take off. So awesome, man. Yeah, I absolutely love that, man. And and so, you know, as as we wrap things up, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed our conversation with Craig and I together. Um, so you know, learn about product market fit, which is really just saying, have you convinced anybody to do anything with your product uh, and, and use that to validate it? Uh, you know, another one that Craig said was, you know, learn to plan for the timing. Yes, location is good, but so is timing. You do these things and you too will be well on your way in your pursuit of making billions. Wow, what a show. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to leave a comment and review on new ideas and guests you want me to bring on for future episodes. Plus, why don't you head over to YouTube and see extra takes while you get to know our guests even better. And make sure to come back for our next episode where we dive even deeper into the people, the process, and the perspectives of both investors and founders. Until then, my friends, stay hungry, focus on your goals, and keep grinding towards your dream of making billions.